0: Friends, would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the children. Lord, we thank you for those who are serving. We pray that you would use them this morning. Lord, we pray for them the same thing we pray for ourselves. Father, give us ears to hear your voice through your word. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are not aware, the month of October is known as Reformation Month. Protestants celebrate the work of God through the word of God, bringing life back into the church. And the motto of the Reformation is a Latin phrase that's translated uh, as, After darkness. Light, after a season, long season of darkness amongst God's people, light came through. And so it seems appropriate to open up this new sermon series with a quote from the great reformer himself, Martin Luther. In speaking of the book of James, he writes, This epistle is really an epistle of straw. Uh, What what means that there's no value. Straw is, uh, is worthless. He also adds, uh, "We should throw the Epistle of James out of this school, for it doesn't amount to much. It contains not a syllable about Christ. Not once does it mention Christ, except at the beginning. Now, that's not maybe the best introduction, uh, or you wouldn't read that at the back of the book. You know, these are the uh, recommendations or or the approvals, those little blurbs. Um, you might hear these words and feel a bit concerned. Maybe we shouldn't read through the Book of James." Now, others of you feel a bit confused because this is such a dear book to you. You, You've seen it bear fruit in your life over the years. Now, a bit later on, I'll explain why Luther had issues with the book of James. But there is a quick lesson that I can point out here. There is no one, no matter how great a theologian they may be, there is no one who has perfect doctrine or theology. Uh, Men and women throughout history, even in our day, serve as such great helps to us as we study God's Word. But there are no words that compare to the Word of God. There is no other book that holds the words of life, and there is no greater authority in the life of the Christian than the Bible, than God's Word. Now, with that, let me tell you the plan for our morning today. I'll spend the first part of our time giving an intro, an overview of the book of James. That way, we have an understanding of the context and the historical background. These things are important, they're helpful for us as we study a new book. And then, for the rest of the time, I will read through all five chapters of James. I'm pretty excited to do this together as a church. Uh, This isn't often done in churches. As, as I consider why, uh, it, I imagine it's because it takes a lot of time. And, and some might argue that it's not the best use of time that we have together. But I can't think of a better way to open up a new series. We have done it once before when I preached through the book of Galatians. I thought about it through the book of Exodus. Those are just, it's a bit, a bit longer. Now, please uh, don't think that I only had time to write half of a sermon this week, and so I thought, well, let me fill up the rest of my time with just reading the entire book. Uh, this isn't what substitute teachers sometimes do in classrooms. They come in and say, well, let's just watch a movie today. Right, that's, that's not what's happening this morning. Uh, this is an intentional choice, and, and here's why. For one, it'll be greatly beneficial for us to listen to the whole letter in one sitting. Uh, as good as it is for us to dig into words and, and, and a few verses at a time, to dwell, to reflect, to meditate, that is important. That should be a part of the way that you study the Bible on your own and also with others. It's also important for us to be able to step back and to see how the whole book fits together. Now, secondly, I'm excited to do this because it's a special thing for us to do together as a church, because it connects us to the early church. When the church received a letter from an apostle or from a church leader, with great anticipation, they would gather together to hear the words read. And we can be certain that they didn't read just a short portion of it and and save the rest for the next time they gathered together. No, they, they would listen intently to every word, whether it was 20 minutes or two hours. You see... God's word has always been central to the gathered people of God. As we think of Genesis chapter 1, the word of God went out and it created the world. We read in Ezekiel 37 of the valley of dry bones and the prophet spoke the words of God and what was dead came to life. God's word created the church, and so the church, us this morning, we gather around his word. Now, we do this every Sunday, right? This is why preaching of God's word is central to our church, and not just our church, but central to the church throughout the history of Christianity. And so we'll do it again today as we read through the book of James in its entirety. It works especially well, I think, with this letter because it's basically written as a sermon. It's written as a speech. So let's start very simply with our background, our introduction on the book. Who is James? No one. That's not his real name. His name is Jacob. Uh, For those who read the Bible in Arabic or in French... Uh, I even checked the German translation, uh, and I think really any non-English translation, it's rightly known as the book of Jacob. So what happened with English? Well, I'm sure lots of things. Uh, but, but the Hebrew name is Yaakov. In Greek, it's transliterated. That means you're, not, you're trying to use the same uh, say, use the letters in a language to create the same sounds in the, in the new language. Uh, the sounds of what it was before. So in Greek, it's transliterated to Iakobos. I'm, I'm sure, don't, like, don't worry about my uh, pronunciation of these words, of these names. And so the Latin also transliterated, but they softened the name to Iakomos with an M instead of a B. Now, when the Bible was translated into English, uh, it turned from Iakomos into Yames, James. James. Um, after the the softer latin usage of the name and then after king james himself authorized the english translation it stuck and remained now it doesn't change anything about the letter but it's helpful for us to hear the reason for this difference because i know that many of you have read this book in your own language and so maybe you've considered what's what's happening there and so that's what happened but for our purposes, because this is an English-speaking church and we're reading through the English translation of the Bible, uh, we'll continue to refer to the author and book as James. We can think of it as his nickname, if you'd like. James was the half brother of Jesus. Same mom, different father. All right? now, this isn't a sermon about the virgin birth of Christ, uh, and so we're not going to get into the depth of that. Uh, but maybe a coffee, another time we can get together and discuss that. But, but we need to point out that the Bible doesn't teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Right? I, I know that this is strange to some of your ears, depending on the, the Christian background that you have. But, but the teaching that Mary remained a virgin and childless after Jesus for the rest of her life is based on tradition, it's based on stories, it's not based on scripture. There are actually multiple references to Jesus having siblings. John chapter seven, Mark chapters three, five, six, Matthew chapter twelve and thirteen. Uh, let's let's look at Matthew chapter thirteen verses fifty three to fifty six. That'll be on the screen for you. When Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And so there is a clear recognition and historical understanding that there were siblings of Jesus. Now, it seems that James didn't believe in Jesus at first, earlier in his life. If you think back with me to Genesis 37 uh, with Joseph and his brothers, if Joseph's brothers struggled with his sense that he was destined for greatness, right, and that's why they considered killing him, but they thought, well, let's send him off and sell him as a slave. And then we saw that the prophecies were true and that he would become who God said he would. Imagine the difficulty of being Jesus' younger brother. Right, but somewhere along the way, James believed. And we know that in the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to many, and he also appeared to James. Listen uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. This is Paul writing this. And he says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And so James, we see both in Scripture, and understand from the history, that he became a leader in the church of Jerusalem, uh, the, the first church. We can read about him in Acts chapter 15 and, and being a part of the Jerusalem council. He remained in Jerusalem until he was martyred. That means he, was, he died for the things he believed in the year 62 A.D. And, and history tells us that he was martyred by the scribes and Pharisees, And he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple. So the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, he was thrown off and when he landed, he was stoned. Now it's likely because of his life and his history that he wrote this letter in Jerusalem and it was one of the earlier letters that was circulated uh, before any of Paul's were written. And so let's jump back to Martin Luther really quickly. Uh, It's said that he offered a PhD to anyone who could connect James to Paul. And so hopefully after this sermon, we are all honorary PhDs in in the Bible and in theology. Now, it's likely that he resisted the epistle of James as a reaction of his experience that righteousness is based on works and based on efforts. And, And that's because until he was confronted with the gospel as salvation by grace through faith, he felt burdened to prove himself to God. And what's the burden? Well, that he knew that he couldn't. And if you read about the history of of Martin Luther, he hated God. He hated God for the judgment that he would pour upon him because he knew it was impossible to live up to what God had set its standard. Now, when he truly understood the gospel, he was set free, and he never looked back. And so... Martin Luther would hear Paul's words, for example, in Romans chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And then he would look to James's words in chapter 2, verse 21, and here's what James wrote. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son, on the altar. And so Luther couldn't reconcile them. He saw them as opposing teachings. Now, yes, from the sound of those two verses alone, out of context, and just those two examples, it would seem that there is a contradiction. But we will come to see very clearly that there is no contradiction in God's word and between James and Paul. Now, very simply, we can explain this This hesitation that, Paul, that, that Luther had uh, with James, because he was reading James's letter as a teaching on justification, right, being justified, being made right, and having a right standing before God. He read James with that lens, when in reality, it's a teaching on sanctification. But James knows his audience. He, he knows who he's writing to. He's writing to the Jews who have come to believe in Jesus and who are scattered outside of Palestine. It's similar to what I did last week at our members meeting. I gave a short encouragement, a short talk directed to believers. I know, along with Pastor Anwar, I know all the members. I know that they've trusted in Jesus. And it's from that foundation that I gave my talk. I didn't need to establish a context of explaining what we believe. Why? Well, because I already know that we hold on to the same gospel. There's a relationship within the the members of the church, a very direct and clear one that's covenanted. And so there is no uh, former work that needed to be done. Now, it's true that as we read James, we're not going to read about the cross or atonement. There's no direct mention of the resurrection of Jesus. Actually... Uh, there's only two times that, it's, that Jesus has mentioned in this letter. One is just as an introduction: James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the phrasings that we're used to from Paul on justification by faith or redemption or reconciliation. But his concern isn't any of those things. He doesn't seem to be worried about right belief of these believers. He's concerned with their lives. You see, where Paul says, take the gospel in, James is saying, take the gospel out. And So let me encourage you with something quickly. If you don't know the gospel, your first step is to believe. That is the primary concern. Too often, people try to bear the fruit of Christianity without really being Christians, other than by name alone. And that's not possible. And so, friend, if you're listening this morning, if you not yet believe that Jesus is the Son of God, sent from heaven to live the life that you couldn't live and died the death that you deserved, believe in Jesus. That's my concern for you. That's the hope for you this morning. Take in the gospel by believing that everything that needs to be done for you to have a right standing with God has been done by Jesus. Friend, I I pray that you would believe in Jesus, that you would rest in Jesus, and then you would consider what James writes about living like Jesus. Let me share just a few more general notes on the book of James, and then uh, my hope is that we will spend the next two months through the end of November working through the book of James. James, as we'll come to see, refers to over 20 Old Testament books. He mentions Abraham, Rahab, Job, Elijah. He speaks of the Ten Commandments. It's a short letter. And so out of 108 verses that are in this letter, there are 60 commands. That's more than any other New Testament book. So lots of imperatives. We see that James is inspired by two primary places. First of all, uh, there's lots of references to the first nine chapters of Proverbs. But more than anything, his letter develops the main themes from Jesus' teaching from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And some commentators have even said that James is an exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. And the letter is going to cover three main areas that he'll point out towards the end of chapter one. Controlling the tongue. He's going to talk about that quite a bit. Concern for the poor and for the needy. And then living a daily purity without being stained by the world. This is a pastoral letter. And so my hope for you, for this church, is the same hope that James had in writing, that we would prioritize our following of Jesus and grow in our following of Jesus. You see, belief of the gospel isn't just about intellectual transformation. Yes, we need to understand things and believe them. But more than anything, it's a move of the heart. I've spoken to many of you sitting in this room and also to many over the years And the most common questions that I get and the things that we discuss don't have to do with right belief, but with right living, right? We've all asked, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? What should my life look like? And we often struggle trying to reconcile why our lives don't often bear the fruit of what we believe. And so I am eager for us as a church to go through James together because... James gives a practical guide to both Christian life and conduct. Paul Tripp summarizes James this way. He calls it a portrait of the life of James. Sorry, of the, of the life of faith. Let me say that again. A portrait of the life of faith. And James is going to get into our lives by, by looking at everyday ethics We're going to consider questions that he brings up on how do we respond to trials and the hard things of life? How do we control our tongues and interact with others well? How do we plan our days? And how should we spend our resources? This book will serve as a mirror to inspect our lives, but, but it's not for the purpose of condemnation. Because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but a mirror to prune and to perfect. That's, that's a word that James uses often. He will call the Christian to a life of perfection. But not in the way that we think of that word. We, we think of being perfect in that we will never mess up, that we won't sin and we'll stop spinning, sinning completely. But the concept of perfection means completion and wholeness. Now, why does James concern himself with us being whole? Well, it's because we're divided people. We are uh, saved, but not yet glorified people, right? He he acknowledges, and we'll read in the letter, that we will stumble in many ways, and that's because we are divided, or as he says, double-minded in our ways. We will long after God, and long after the things of God, and yet pretty easily get drawn to the attractions of the world world we we praise god with the same mouth that we will speak poorly of our brother and sister and so james wants us to know that it matters how we live because our lives are a reflection of what we believe and so friends brothers and sisters let's seek the lord together that we may continue to be conformed in the image of christ and let us Be an expectant people. Let's expect that the Lord will mature us in our faith as we humble ourselves and seek after him through his word. Amen. Now, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to James chapter 1. I'm reading through the, the Bible that we use and that we give away here at the church from the CSB. If you're following in any other translation, it might be hard to keep up, and so you can just follow along on the screen or just listen along. After we read through the book of James, we'll transition into taking the Lord's Supper together this morning, as it's the first Sunday of the month. James, chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Verse 9, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and, together with a scorching wind, dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearances perish. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder... You are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them go in peace and stay warm and be well fed but you don't give them what their body needs what good is it? In the same way faith if it doesn't have works is dead by itself. But someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works you believe that god is one good even the demons believe and they shudder senseless person are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless wasn't abraham our father justified by works and offering isaac his son on the altar you see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was made complete and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works and receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works, is dead. Chapter 3. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in gentleness, in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. And every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James chapter 4. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you, you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profits. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. chapter 5, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields... Cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord has brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, so that, you will, so that you won't fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being, as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruits. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, may your word be a lamp and a light. For our feet. Father, we pray as we uh, enter a season, eight weeks, two months, Father God, in this book, that, that you would use it to transform us, not just as individuals, but as a, as a church for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.